Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. You are listening to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're going to meet Sun Lord Jean. He is a staff sergeant with the U.S. Marine Corps and the coordinator of Toys for Tots. Welcome, Staff Sergeant Jean. Nice to have you here. And you are the Toys for Tots coordinator. That is such an important program. Tell us, how are things going so far this year? Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Um, Things are going all right this year. Uh, We could be doing better. Uh, Right now, we are missing a lot of uh, toys from 0 to 2 and 9 through 14. So. Boys, girls, both? Both. Oh, okay. So we were trying to make up for those and uh, doing events. We was just at the Moose Lodge uh, Saturday, um, the first. Uh, that was a good turnout. Um, Friday was at the River Grill. That was a, also a good turnout. So we out there trying to uh, make a difference, if you will. And where do you have a list of where you're going to be uh, and how long the collections continue until? Uh, not really. Uh, the people, uh, Whoever decided to do uh, an event, we always show up. Uh, we was at um, Pittston High School. Mm-hmm. So if the event is going, they have boxes. We show up, collect the toys, and uh, sometimes they ask us to leave more boxes, which is a good thing. Very. Or uh, set up a date to come pick up uh, the boxes that's already there. So if someone is listening to you today and they would like to get involved, maybe they didn't even realize that it was, I don't know how you couldn't, but maybe they didn't realize it was happening. Uh, Is there a way that they can do that? Is there a certain date as well that they would have to do it by? Yes, ma'am. So uh, they go on our website, ymmpatoysfortats.org. There's all kind of stuff, how to donate, how to volunteer. Uh, so if anybody uh, would like to do any of those, the, it's, it's all on the website. Um, as long as it's before Christmas Eve, that's all that matters because the programs stop mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Eve, uh, you know, making sure every kid have a brighter Christmas, if you will. We would, we would certainly hope so. What's your background, Master Sergeant? I, I get the impression you're not from around here. I am from New York City, actually. Aha! Uh-huh. Um since being in Marinko, I've moved around a few times, uh, Japan, North Carolina, South Carolina. Now I'm in Wyoming, Pennsylvania. It must be a little bit different 
when you're involved? Because, again, were you always involved with the Toys for Tots? This is my first year, and it's a wake-up call to me. Um, Again, uh, I take this personal because I know what it feels like not to have where I came from. But um, I know it's for a good cause, so that thrives me and keeps me going because mm-hmm. I know what we're doing here is, uh, you know, again, for a positive cause. I guess a lot of times people, uh, well, of course, we all associate Toys for Tots with the Marine Corps and the wonderful public service announcement that runs on television. And we just see you staunch guys and here you are. But there's such a soft spot when it comes to the kids. I have a daughter of my own. She's two and a half and... uh... She's a handful. <laughs> and around, but you're a Marine. You can handle that. <laughs> I don't know. I think she got me beat. <laughs> there you go. That's that's the Marine Achilles heel when it comes to the children. Yes, and ma'am. you did mention the fact that there are certain age groups again. Um, it, how do you know? Do you Have you been collecting the toys? Have you seen what's already come in? So as we collect the toys, uh, we have to sort them out by age and gender. Uh, 0 to 2, 3 to 5, 6 to 8, 9 through 11, and 12 through 14. So we keep uh, a count of uh, how many toys we have and what we lack in them. Mm. And I just read a report this morning, actually, that pediatricians, the American Cat Academy of Pediatrics, is suggesting that for the younger kids... And this would include your daughter as well. So when she says, Dad, I want an iPhone, (laughs) you tell her no. Because right now, what they're looking for are things like blocks and just very simple toys and getting away from the mechanized everything that goes. Do you find that? Very much so. Uh, Back when I was growing up, I didn't have no... PlayStation, no iPhone. <laughs> I'll go outside and play or building blocks and things of that nature. But I, again, as time evolves, uh, we're in a modern world these days, so kids are adapting to what's presented to them. But um, there's still a few parents out there that's believing the old ways, if you will. So. I think I'm one of those parents. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're better off, especially in the long run. Yes, ma'am. So once again, give us the website. Give us any information that you would like our listeners to know so that we can make sure that no child goes without a toy for this coming holiday season. Uh, So the website site is uh, toysfortots.org, or you can find us... uh, on Twitter, twitter.com slash Toys for Tots. Uh, you can find us on, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Toys for Tots. Um, again, anything, any help, regardless if it's volunteering or donation, you're all welcome. I think that, am I not mistaken, that you brought a box here to our intercom building this morning? Yes, ma'am. I and do we're- have one. We're right on 315 in Pittston. How convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, and a lovely holiday to you and that beautiful little girl. Thank you. Same to you as well, ma'am. 
special edition continues, we also have Megan Milo. She is the vice president of operations for the Ken Pollock Auto Dealership. They are helping out those who might need a coat this winter. Megan, welcome. Nice to have you here. You have all kinds of things that are happening, and our listeners always like to help. So tell us about it and how they can get involved. Hi, Paula. Thanks for having me here. Sure. We're really excited for this holiday season. One thing that we do every year and in a way that we give back to our community is we have a coat drive at all of our dealerships. And our dealerships, like um, Ken Pollock Alfa Romeo, Maserati, Ken Pollock Nissan, uh, Ken Pollock Volvo, and Luzerne County, we're collecting coats until December 18th for um, Luzerne County Children's Head Start. Up in Carbondale, Ken Pollock Mitsubishi is collecting coats for um, the local YMCA that benefits the community up in Lackawanna in County. Um, down in Berwick in Columbia County, we have Ken Pollock Ford Lincoln, and they're collecting coats to benefit the Head Start in Columbia County. So there's lots of drop-off locations, easy, convenient access. So bring in your coats and warm someone up in need. When we talk about uh, there are a lot of organizations that do have different coat drives and things like that, it sounds a little bit unusual that an auto dealership would be getting involved in taking coats and different things like that. What makes this so important to the folks at Ken Pollock? Well, from the beginning, um, Ken Pollock Auto Group has always been really involved in the community, and we take great pride in the communities in which we do business in. So it only makes sense for us to give back and help others in need, as you know, we've had so much success from our communities, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the great people in our area. So this is just something in one of the many ways in which you know, we give back to those who are in need, um, who are always there for us at the end of the day. And one of the other things, it was around Halloween time. Every year we have a trunk or treat where all of our dealerships, we pop open the trunks and load them up with a bunch of candy. And um, at our Volvo location, since that's kind of the, the safety store with Volvo being known as uh, the safest vehicle out there on the road. So um, we have Operation Kids Safe every year and um, it's free digital photo IDs and fingerprinting for your children and God forbid in any emergency situation so you have something tangible to hand to authorities um, if you should need to. One of the other things and as we're staying on the idea of helping kids you also have a car seat uh, program where the people can come and they have uh, state police that are going to be involved in that we do. We um, at the Ken Pollock Volvo store, we host, uh, in conjunction with the Pennsylvania State Police, um, car seat safety checks. So we do it every quarterly about, and we just had one in October as well, and there was pumpkin decorating for children and car seats and, and, and fun like that. But for December, we wanted to do something holiday-themed. So on December 13th, it's a, it's a Thursday, from 2 to 5 p.m. at Ken Pollock Volvo in Pittston, we're going to have cookies with Santa Claus this year. So you could bring the kids, get their car seat checked, especially you know now since children and the car seat requirements have changed so drastically, so... Um, Santa will be there, cookies, you can have photos with Santa. So we're really excited about about the holiday um, car seat check this year. And it also sounds like it's one of those things, as you mentioned, the fact that there have been some changes. And that must also affect vehicles 
because then people get a new vehicle or they have to even put something into a vehicle they have. So you must work pretty closely with Pennsylvania State Police and as well as the vehicle manufacturers in order to keep all that straight. Absolutely. Technology is ever changing in this world. It's you can't it's, you know, you gotta keep up with it. So the car manufacturers do a really great job about making tethers and seats that accommodate all sorts of sizes of uh, car seats these days. Once again, let's talk about those coats because right. that's the big emphasis and it's your the drive is only until December eighteenth. December eighteenth, yes. And when we're talking about these, uh, sometimes a lot of people say, well, you know, a coat for my own child is a little expensive. Do they have to be new? They do not have to be new. They can be gently used. Um, We also are accepting adult coats as well. So not just for children, but also for adults. Um, Those will also benefit those in need. So clean out your closets and bring in some coats. And once again, can you run down the uh, list of places and uh, the uh, uh, things that you're going to be taking at those locations? Yes. So in Luzerne County, we have Ken Pollock Alfa Romeo Maserati, which is on Monday Street, right across from Olive Garden. We have Ken Pollock Volvo Cars here in Pittston. Um, right on Route 315. Ken Pollock Nissan, which is also on Monday Street. And um, up in uh, Lackawanna County, we have Ken Pollock Mitsubishi, which they're benefiting the Lackawanna County Head Start and Catholic Social Services, as well as the YMCA. And down in Columbia County in Berwick, we have Ken Pollock Ford Lincoln, um, and that coats there are benefiting Columbia County Head Start. So all somebody has to do is? Walk in and drop off a coat. That's and, it. And it doesn't have to be new. doesn't have to be new. It can be gently used or worn. And it's not just kids. It's not just kids. Wow. Yeah. You guys are Women, great. Men and children, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Everyone. That's right. And especially with the cold weather already making its way in, it's probably a good idea to get... Now, when is the distribution going to be done? It'll be on the 20th of December. So every year, in conjunction with the Luzerne County Head Start... Everyone within the company, um, we buy gifts for the children there as well. So Santa and Frosty make an appearance at uh, the Luzerne County Head Start as well. And then that's when the collection will take place and all of the coats will be dispersed. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like it ought to be a lot of fun for everyone. It is. It is. We look forward to it every year and we thoroughly enjoy it. And the 13th again is going to be the car seat with the Pennsylvania State Police and... Cookies with Santa. Wow. We're going to have to be able to... uh, Well, I wonder, do you think Santa is going to give up the sleigh this year? I don't know. I don't know. Now that he might be in uh, in line for a Maserati, he, he might he might be behind the wheel of a Maserati or a, you know a little red Volvo. We're not really sure yet these days, so <laughs> it's going to be up to him. Well, you just have a wonderful time, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Paula. It was a pleasure. Coming up, local ties remembering our forty first president. There's more special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition, Remembering President George H.W. Bush with Intercom's Frank Andrews and his guest, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Joe Albert. Let me see if I can take you back to the evening of January 16th, 1991. We were all home and former President George Herbert Walker Bush had a a national address to the nation. John, play that sound by, please. Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. 
These attacks continue as I speak. Ground forces are not engaged. This conflict started August 2nd when the dictator of Iraq invaded a small and helpless neighbor. Kuwait, a member of the Arab League and a member of the United Nations, was crushed. Its people brutalized. Five months ago, Saddam Hussein started this cruel war against Kuwait. Tonight, the battle has been joined. United- uh, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, I just read you part of his resume is here. He was an integral part of Newswatch 16's coverage of Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Colonel, how are you? Fine, Frank. How are you doing? Okay, tell me, tell me what you remember about the start of Desert Storm and Shield. Well, it was actually... Uh, fascinating to the extent that when I first got, was recalled to active duty, they were quietly doing it around the country with different people in different categories, etc. Then I found out that I was invited to join the Joint Chiefs. And then when I went to Washington and the Pentagon with the Joint Chiefs, found out what my assignment was and It was a series of meetings and briefings for about three months in putting things together, organizing Central Command, getting them up to strength, quietly assigning units to them, and working on putting together the coalition of uh, allied nations. There were 43 of them at the time. And one of the things that uh, was my responsibility Uh, was briefing daily once the operation started the ambassadors of all the allied countries telling them how wonderful their troops were when in fact we were doing 98% of everything. (laughs) Now, now, Colonel, uh, hindsight is 20-20, but what would have happened if we didn't liberate Kuwait? If we didn't what? Did not liberate Kuwait. If there was no desert shield, desert storm. Well, if it would, uh, he would have continued to expand and probably have gone into Saudi Arabia, probably would have gone into Iran, and would be the undisputed king of the Middle East. Wow. With all the oil, Bahrain, Qatar. Uh, we actually knew about what he was planning to do uh, two weeks ahead of time because at a 4th of July reception at the American Embassy, he told the American ambassador exactly what his plans were. The problem was she never bothered to report it back to Washington. (laughs) Needless to say, she was relieved right after so, so I guess what I'm trying to do here is as we're watching Air Force One arriving there for the, uh, the beginning of the official ceremony, uh, as, we, as we think about uh, President 41, President George Herbert Walker Bush, his call to start Desert Storm was the right one. I believe it was the right one. Uh, I will say this in all honesty, there was a lot of lobbying by the Kuwait lobbyists in Washington to liberate the country. Uh, They played a very definite role in our actions. Uh, Another country, surprisingly, that uh, kind of got a very interesting heads up on the entire situation was Israel, which when they learned what we were doing, when we briefed them, they offered us their entire country. 
airplanes, hospitals, ports, landing strips, etc. We turned them down. The reason we turned them down is we didn't want to upset the Arab allies in the coalition. And at that time, I think Israel realized that they could not depend on anybody but themselves for the future. You know, I'm going to ask you questions here, and and if they're goofy questions, just tell me. But do you remember um, what what units from our area were involved in? Oh, specifically. Yeah. There were three units specifically from our area that were recalled. And before I tell you which ones, well, I'll tell you which ones they were. There was a medical unit that was headquartered up in Scranton, comprised of doctors and nurses, most of whom were from CMC and uh, Moses Taylor Mercy at the time. There was a military police unit from down in, uh, I believe, Wilkes-Barre somewhere in Luzerne County. And I believe there was also a engineering unit that was activated uh, from perhaps the Lehigh Valley. I'm not sure where. And, and there was a civil affairs unit out of Philadelphia that was activated. And the reason these units were activated, and when you're talking about Bush 41 legacy, one of the prime things the man did was to make the military service uh, not only achievable but respectable again. Because don't forget, we were still coming off of Vietnam, and the military was held in deep distrust. They weren't recognized. They weren't uh, respected. They were at best tolerated. And after uh, Desert Storm... It was a whole different picture. Now, John, we have that second soundbite where, where uh, President Herbert, George Herbert Walker Bush is speaking to troops. Can you play that? Because it's exactly what the colonel is talking about. only help liberate Kuwait, you help this country liberate itself from old ghosts and doubts. And when you left, it was still fashionable to question America's decency, America's cur- courage. America's resolve, and no one, no one in the whole world doubts us anymore. Wow! Now he was he was speaking to to troops. That's exactly what you said. But I didn't remember that that, uh, that he kind of restored that kind of dignity to the military. Ab- absolutely, and the reason that that occurred was after Vietnam, the. Allied uh, American commander of American forces <clears throat> was General Creighton Abrams, the man the tanks named after. And he decided when he became chief of staff of the Army that the military would never undergo what happened during Vietnam. And that is that if you wanted to get out of Vietnam yet serve your country, you join the Guard or Reserve because nobody was ever activated for Vietnam. And he said that would never happen again because we cannot fight a war without the country being involved totally. And that means people from the home front being activated. So what he did was take all the support activities at the army bases all over the world, especially stateside, and turned them into civilian enterprises and put the support units into the reserve and sometimes the guard, and they were attached to the active duty units that were assigned to that base. 
So, for example, if you were in a military supply unit or a laundry or post office, it was a civilian-run operation at Fort Benning, for example, but your unit was assigned, was attached to the 82nd Airborne. So if the 82nd was mobilized, so was your unit to offer the support. And that, in turn, would bring in American support across the board for the military. And that's what happened during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And the key thing that I find interesting, from my perspective, was that after... Desert Shield, we finished. When I was getting ready to leave and return back, uh, the general that I was working for said, don't forget you're coming back here in 30 days. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew the war was on. I guess so. But let's see, a couple things that people... Uh, 300 Field Hospital. That's your guest. Uh, we want to remind your guests of the 92nd Aerial Port Squadron from Wyoming. 300 Field Hospital from Ashley. 427 members. Uh, U.S. Army Reserve. All right, quarter to four. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. We're talking about the legacy of 41, President George Herbert Walker Bush. And we're talking about one of the biggest things that he's remembered for, and that is Desert Storm and Desert Shield. We're talking about his legacy, and we're talking about Operation Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. Uh, he... he I'm telling you, he was on Channel 16 probably once a week during that, giving us all kinds of information. Colonel, here's here's one of the things I remember. The hero of the time was General Schwarzkopf, but he kind of got forgotten between then and now. Well, he's passed away, for yeah. starters. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Storm and Norman had quite a <laughs> reputation at the at the Pentagon. And we were not his biggest fans. <laughs> Why? Uh, he was not the easiest person in the world to get along with, especially having worked with Colin Powell. Uh, General Powell was was an entirely different sort of individual than General Schwarzkopf was. Powell was very unassuming. Uh, he was stern but fair. Uh, Schwarzkopf was a, really an arrogant SOB. Really? But, I mean, he was probably a good com- field he, commander, he, right? Well, he was the key commander at the time because of CENTCOM. What you, what you have to understand is how the U.S. military has reoriented themselves uh, as part of the national defense policy and strategy outlook into unified commands, which were prior to uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, were not really common, but were uh, abnormalities as opposed to uh, commands that we thought about from previous wars. For example, CENTCOM in and of itself only consists of about two, three hundred people. When they have a mission and they need something, what happens is the commanding general of CENTCOM goes out to the service chiefs and says, I need three infantry divisions. I need a uh, air wing. I need a naval battle fleet group. And the secretaries of the various services, along with the chiefs of staff of the services, decide which ones will be temporarily assigned to that command. And that's what happened with CENTCOM. It was a uh, command comprised of various uh, units from different services, all under one umbrella at the time. 
I remember an infamous Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert soundbite <laughs> from Channel 16. Saddam Hussein kept talking about his elite guard. I forget what they were called. A Republican guard? The Republican yeah, guard. Yeah, the elite Republican guard. Oh, the re- elite Republican guard. Elite Republican. And they're, they're, he was just going on about how they were going to wipe us out. And I remember we were talking about that and showing the soundbite. And I remember it on Channel 16, you looked at me and you said, um, I wouldn't worry about it. Ask me in a week. <laughs> And after a week, remember the infamous pictures? They all surrender. They surrender. They <laughs> surrender. But what, what's even better, and, and this is something about Bush that, that people are not aware of. We had people in Baghdad. We, we had people there. And after the fighting stopped, it was a matter, do we push forward or do we stay where we were and just leave the place as it was? Well, the Bush one... Uh, was smart enough to push this through the United Nations. And it was the United Nations uh, mandate that we liberate Kuwait and we leave Iraq the way it was. So we didn't go forward. Yeah, a lot and of people thought we should have just, you know, marched into Baghdad. We could have. We could have. Well, easily, right? But here's what the problem. It would have. It would not have been a problem. But there were two two factors, and here's the first one. Saddam Hussein had a dozen different palaces. We never knew which one he was going to be at. He had a half a dozen doubles. We never knew if we, in fact picked them off if we got the right one. And more importantly, and this is what happened with uh, Bush too, was when we did replace him, who would we replace him with, number one, and two, he would be considered an American puppet. And that's exactly what happened in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. So we did not take out Saddam, even though we could have, and we didn't do it for a reason. And perhaps more importantly, we let the Iraqi generals uh, who were left know that should they decide they wanted to remove their leader, A, we wouldn't step in their way, and B, would we, we would quietly assist them. He found out about it. He called 13 generals to Baghdad. They thought they were getting decorated. He took them out in the backyard and shot them. Oh, man. And that was it. That, that was the end of the Iraqi coup. I guess so. Now, you were you were part of, you know, planning the strategy and all that. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm remembering accurately, but one of the reasons that the Republican Guard, you know, surrendered with their hands up and coming out like a parade, didn't we carpet bomb that area? Well, we... we strategically took out what we had to. We stopped him cold. More importantly, he took his entire Air Force and sent it to Iran because he knew we would destroy it. After the war, the Iranians refused to give it back. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Uh, He was also, we were concerned about chemical warfare at the time. I remember that. He threatened that. had those suits, yeah. And uh, it did not come to pass, fortunately, for both sides. But that was one of the biggest concerns we had was, would he move, take that extra step? And he didn't do it to his credit. because he did it to his own people, and that was part of his reputation. Exactly. But is that why we sent the B-52s over to just... Well, that was one reason. Don't forget, this was also the, the first time the B-1 stealth bomber was put into operation. That totally caught them off guard because they had no way of knowing it was coming. 
Hmm. Where was Russia in this? Sitting, watching very carefully. <laughs> they were they were told to mind their own business and, and not did. to and not to come in. And don't forget, they were having internal problems themselves at the time. So the Russians, as well as the Chinese, were just waiting to see what would happen, what we would do. And uh, for our benefit, they didn't do anything. And it worked out well for us. Well, this 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 war lasted like what three weeks? About that. About that. About that. About that. Now we didn't. We still have troops in Kuwait, by yeah. the way, and and we had to train the Saudi Air Force. We had a we had to create a Saudi Air Force. We trained them, and after the war, the first thing the the uh, uh, king of uh, Saudi Arabia did was disband the air force. Because he was afraid of a coup, they were the most educated people in this country. Don't go away. More special edition with Frank Andrews and Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert coming up. Welcome back to more special edition. We'll now return to the discussion with Intercom's Frank Andrews and Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert retired on the legacy of President George H.W. Bush. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. The legacy of Bush 41, President George Herbert Walker Bush. And we're talking about Desert Storm, Desert Shield. And Colonel, uh, someone, someone texted and asked this question. You were talking about why we didn't go into Baghdad with General Schwarzkopf. If we did, wouldn't that have prevented Bush Jr. from having to do shock and awe? Well, it's like I said, we would have had uh, the three problems that I mentioned. One, the fact that uh, Saddam had uh, twelve castles, yeah, twelve castles and a half a dozen lookalikes, and we weren't, we couldn't be sure if we got the right one. That was number one, and number two, if we did and we overthrew him, whoever we put there would be considered just what happened with Michael Moore, uh, an American puppet. Yeah, and and that's and plus the fact that the United Nations mission was simply to liberate. Wait. Now, here, here's one of the things that I remember. I don't know if this was something that you were involved in or you had, you know, had to give the final okay. But we're we're in uh, Channel 16, and we get an offer, and I, all the stations did. For the first time, we could pay twenty thousand dollars, and we could have a live camera showing us the battle twenty four seven. I'm thinking, really? And so we we paid twenty thousand dollars, and we got this camera. We're watching everything, and then we had the infamous briefings of the smart bombs. First time we saw the smart bombs, and remember the black and white video, and we see a bridge blow up. I was just watching one. G- General Schwarzkopf said, "Here's the luckiest man in Iraq," and the guy goes through the crosshairs and over the bridge, and then the bridge is gone. Smart bombs. Well, we had uh, that. That was a, a public affairs yeah. from DOD. We had nothing to do with that, but we would not have approved it. And and that was what we the first time we really embedded troops and cameras with ground units, etc. And that was part of the attempt to bring it close to home, make you involved, and and keep your eyes on it. Don't forget. Cable, the only cable news channel at the time was CNN, right? Was CNN, yeah. and it was quasi-legitimate at that point in time. Uh, the only other one was was the uh, Capitol Hill 
news network, which just covered the Capitol. The others were ABC, NBC, and, and CBS. Right, Peter Jennings at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this was an attempt by the public affairs people at DOD to bring the war closer to home, get the public involved. Because don't forget, when we were activating these reserve and guard units for the first time and putting them with active duty troops, uh, when, when you had a, a, a unit from the 82nd at Fort Benning, for example, or the 101st from uh, Fort Campbell, the people in Scranton really didn't care about that. I mean, it was it was distant. It was, okay, so what? They're professional soldiers. But when you have a local unit mobilized yeah. and shipped over there, now you're interested. You want to know exactly what's going on, where it's happening, how it's happening, why it's happening, and is my son or daughter coming back? Yeah, that that's where you you and I were there. We would have women who, uh, mothers who would be watching Peter Jennings, ABC News. They would see a flash of some unit, and they'd come screaming at me, let me see that again, that's my son. They wanted, you know. Pick, pick somebody out who was in camo, one of a thousand people. But exactly. they were right. <laughs> exactly. And, and the you know, that's the good side. The bad side interfered with commander's operations many times. And, and unfortunately, journalists get in the way. <laughs> okay, we'll 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 we'll, we'll make we'll just leave it that. at that. <laughs> now, I I have another question, and and that is, Saddam Hussein was a nasty guy, and, and I I remember the the oil fires. Right. He set everything on fire, right? Exactly. Okay. The reason I'm asking you that is because I have a bunch of people who, who have served that are thanking you for being here. But I just wonder, what were the health effects on our military? Tragic, actually. In fact, they're still suffering from uh, a lot of problems that occurred because of the oil fires. Uh, it's like secondary smoke from cigarettes today. Uh, we're not sure of how bad it it really is because it's every day something new is being discovered. But those that were assigned specifically to front areas and in support and where the uh, oil fields were on fire, they're still suffering today. And the VA's got their hands full. Now, I'm on, I'm on a VA website here, and it's talking about Gulf War veterans. <laughs> and it says, you might have health problems caused by sand, dust, particulates, depleted uranium, oil well fires, chemical and biological weapons, chemical agent resistant coating, pesticides, extreme heat, toxic embedded fragments, noise, infectious diseases, occupational hazards, vaccinations, or something else. I can't even read it. Man, man, this is a mess. <laughs> well... I, I don't think it's quite as bad as, as what you're reading, but there were uh, people exposed to things that we weren't really ready for. Uh, we weren't aware that were going to happen. We didn't expect them to set the oil wells on fire, quite frankly. Right. And it was quite a job to put them out. We had to hire outside contractors to do it. The military couldn't do it. So we had to bring in outsiders to do it. And those Texas oil fighters... Uh, that fight the oil well fires, they're an unbelievable class of people. They just, you cannot believe them. What is, what is the status of the VA taking care of our veterans from your point of view? I think it's 100% better than when I first started going to it. Uh, the VA is doing an outstanding job in opening 
doors that were formerly closed. They realized that the veterans community is an integral part of the entire operation and they're opening their eyes and the fact of the turnover with regard to uh, Afghanistan and Iraq today with the constant uh, turnovers that we're having, the constant deployments, redeployments, etc., from guard, reserve, as well as active duty people that are being uh, deployed, the VA is is getting their act together. Now, uh, that's the good side. They're opening the right doors. They're taking care of women veterans for the first time uh, in, in years. They're opening doors for them. On the downside, they want to get rid of two of the most productive and competent departments that they have, audiology and uh, hearing aids. Mm-hmm. Uh, optometry and audiology are probably the best you'll find in the country, in the VA. The VA wants to get rid of them. They want to outsource them totally because they feel they're spending too much on them. But that's what the uh, the veterans are need them for uh, eyeglasses and hearing aids yeah and as as the veterans especially the world war ii guys get older exactly vietnam veterans get older you know hearing aids <laughs> like you said <laughs> and, and hearing aids are expensive ask ask someone on the civilian side who, who has a has bought them you're talking a thousand dollars plus per hearing aid that that's expensive Continuing our conversation for the next few minutes with Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert. Uh, tough question here. Two two tough questions that are being texted in. Do you think there were or are weapons of mass destruction that are buried in the sand? Or what was the situation? <clears throat> I will tell you this. People do not realize how big a country Iraq really is. That's number one. Number two, after the Gulf War... We had UN inspection teams that were supposed to go in and check for weapons of mass destruction because two things. When you're talking about weapons of mass destruction, there's two types. One is chemical, the other is nuclear. We know we had chemical and we know he was working on nuclear. The problem came when he threw out the UN inspection teams because he claimed there were too many U.S. spies. And quite frankly, there were. We, we comprise the majority <laughs> of the teams. So, were there weapons of mass destruction? Yes. Did we find them all? No. Are they out there somewhere? My personal opinion? Yes. I believe so. Okay. Now, next one. Status of the military today, because you've been here before. And we've talked about how it was depleted, you know, the, the, the problems we have. What, what's, what's the status right now? Well, let me, let me explain it to you this way. What there is is what's called the NDS, National Defense Strategy. The National Defense Strategy of the United States uh, following World War II was was to be able to conduct and win, if necessary, a two-front war. We can't do it today. We've changed our national defense strategy to hopefully only one war at a time, period. Number two, which is more significant for the audience and for the American people today, which is very disturbing to anyone who has served their country or loves their country, we might not win a war with the Chinese or Russians today. 
our defense is not in good shape. It's being rebuilt. But the previous president, and I don't want to offend any members of the audience, but I'm just speaking strictly, statistically, realistically, depleted the military so badly that we've had to change our national defense strategy. That's scary. It's very scary. And let me tell you, our adversaries know it. They know it. The Chinese, the Chinese are not playing games when they're building these artificial islands. They're expanding themselves, and they're playing uh, chicken with our warships. The yeah. Russians, the Russians are not playing games. Looking at the Ukraine, they want it back. The question is, what are we going to do? Yeah, and well, how are we going to do it? Can we do it? That's a very good question. That's a very good question, and that's worth a show. In and of itself. What, what, what needs to happen to get our military back to where it should be? The American people have to get behind it. The Congress has to get their act together. It's going to be, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Socialist, Capitalist, whatever you want. You cannot run a divided country. We have a divided Congress. When you have a Democratic, the current Democratic leadership in the Congress, and I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, doesn't matter, but when the current Democratic leadership comes out and says, we are not going to support, regardless of what the president proposes, and he hasn't proposed anything, but just because they want to object, what does that tell you about how the country operates? Yeah, just to say no before you know what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the, uh, the Democratic leadership has already said uh, through the illustrious uh, Congressman Courtright, who said, we're not going to support the new NAFTA agreement just because the president is proposing it. Now, what does that say? They don't even know what's in it. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, whether you're Republican or Democrat, that's not the way to do it. And the military, which is the showpiece for the country... Uh, part of it is you didn't challenge the United States unless you were willing to undergo the circumstances. And what happens, uh, it, it's not happening anymore. We're, we're being laughed at. Now, based on what you just said, we got a whole bunch of texts asking about Russia. Um, you know, he's, he's talking about new weapons. And, I mean, is, is he a major threat or is he a just blowhard? No, I, I, my personal opinion, Putin is a major threat. And I don't think Trump is is disallowing it, uh, disavowing it, or ignoring it. The, the question is, what do you do privately and what do you do publicly are sometimes very different. And I think what we're trying to do privately, Secretary of Defense Mattis is quietly working behind the scenes, quietly trying to encourage our allies to do what they have to do. And the, the president sometimes speaks perhaps when he shouldn't speak, but he says what, what's frustrating him, what you and I would say in our living rooms when we're talking to our spouses. Yeah. Last question. NATO. <laughs> is NATO real? Does it exist? Is it a help? What's going on? Well, NATO, NATO is real. It's not going away, fortunately for everybody, including the Russians. But the problem is the member countries of NATO are going to have to step up to the plate and start uh, paying what they have to pay and doing what they have to do. Uh, we make mistakes in NATO, and mistakes are made as a result and because of 
but it serves as a deterrent. It's kept us out of a hot war for 50 years. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, you're the best. Thanks for being here. Frank, it's always a pleasure to come. again to Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, retired, and Intercom's Frank Andrews for their insight into the legacy of President Bush. And a reminder that this weekend, the Wyoming Valley Barbershop Harmony Chorus is presenting Love at Christmas. The program happens on Sunday, December 9th, 2 p.m. at Saints Peter and Paul Church, 13 Hudson Road in Plains. The program includes featured guests, Nomadic Chromatics. It's an a cappella group from Marywood University. Santa Claus also making an appearance. Tickets are $5 and will be sold at the door. Again, that's the Wyoming Valley Barbershop Harmony Chorus, Love at Christmas, Sunday at 2 at Saints Peter and Paul Church, Hudson Road in Plains. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.